0: Have you found the secret door To let you down to the Earth's deep core? You'll be back in
1: time for tea With a diamond to show me Come, run, jump, skip along, Sam A very happy man I am To know you well and you're doing fine Hello and welcome to episode 1799 of Effectively Wild, a baseball podcast from Fangraphs, presented by our Patreon supporters. I am Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer, joined by Meg Raleigh of Fangraphs. Hello, Meg. Hello. And we are both happy to be joined for the first time in about 13 and a half months, I believe, by long-lost and much-missed co-host Sam Miller, no longer of ESPN We have waited a while to say this But welcome back, Sam
2: Okay, but I mean We should just be clear Also for the last time In more than
1: 13 and a half months Let's not be too happy Let's, <laughs> let's just be clear well, just gonna lay it off <laughs> out yeah. there in the first few seconds. You got re- to the Ben. I'm a guest. You a guest, ease we, people. You yes, a guest uh, today. Yes, you are a, a guest today. <laughs> You're yeah. sorry. people's hopes and dashing people's dreams in the I'm, same sentence. <laughs> I'm sorry.
2: I'm sorry about the whole thing. I'm sorry about how I handled that. <laughs> I'm sorry about it all. <laughs>
1: All right. Well, we are back in the swing of things already, clearly. On the Press Box podcast at the Ringer, the hosts have this long-running gag about the overly dramatic headline construction that says somebody broke their silence about something. And in most cases, the person hasn't actually stayed silent up until then. But I guess we can say that Sam is breaking his silence today from a public perspective. And it would also not be a stretch to say that the Effectively Wild audience has been hoping to hear from him in one way or, another. I mean, Meg, would you agree that we have gotten a few questions about Sam over the past year plus, you know, just from time to time?
0: Yeah, we get we get emails. We get <laughs> rampant speculation in the Facebook group. Yes, I think I've received a carrier pigeon or two.
1: <laughs> yes, there have been uh, a lot of people speculating about contract terms <laughs> and non-competes <laughs> and other intimate details of Sam's professional oh, and boy. personal life. Anyway, understandably, some readers and listeners have been wondering where is Sam? Yeah, how is Sam? What will Sam do next? Etc. And the answer to the first of those questions, at least, is that Sam is. Here on this podcast today, talking to us So, hello Sam, long Hi. time no podcast Yeah, hello How have you been? That's what everyone's been wondering
2: Sorry again, sorry, sorry I've been gone
1: <laughs> What have you been up to? How have you been?
2: Yeah, not much, um, <laughs> just living slow mm-hmm. Yeah, not much, to be honest, I didn't really do anything <laughs> I spent, a, I spent a, a lot of time like doing dishes Doing dishes was a big part of my life
1: I remember asking you what you were doing at some point, maybe a few months into your sort of uh, ESPN-imposed and partly self-imposed, I suppose, silence. And and you said you were doing a lot of dishes, but you weren't sure if that was going to keep you as (laughs) satisfied and occupied as it had up until that point.
2: It did for a, a while, yeah, for it. I would say that, like I was doing dishes just a few minutes ago to my heart is a little bit thumping right now. Uh, <laughs> and so in order to kind of calm down a little, I was doing dishes. Mm -hmm. Uh, This morning, I find that dishes are really an amazing thing. I was, uh, you know, anytime I'm someone comes and like wants to, you know, engage in conversation with me, almost anything I'm doing, I feel like there's a part of my brain that feels like I've been interrupted, because I'm like maybe having a sort of a conversation with myself. So even if I'm just like, you know, scrubbing a floor or something, I still, there's this little bitter part of me. It's like not the part I'm proud of, but there's a little bitter part of me that's like, ah, you've come and disrupted me. And certainly if you're reading or, um, you know, engaged in a screen, uh, there's that you've, you've all seen that reaction that people give when you go and Try to engage with them while they're on a screen, and uh, mm-hmm. and dishes are, are kind of the one thing that I don't feel that at all. I I am very easily interrupted, and I don't feel uh, any sense that I've been interrupted. I'm happy to be <laughs> to chat while I'm doing dishes. Uh, uh-huh. And our kitchen is right in the middle of our house. There's like all the other rooms kind of connect off it, and so it kind of feels like I'm in the center of everything. And people are floating in and out, asking me to do things, and. Uh, it feels really good. So uh, a couple months ago, I was talking to someone and they asked me, I was talking about like my future and they said, well, what's your passion? And I said, oh, I, I didn't know how to answer that. I was sort of scared to answer that. And so I, I asked like what I said, what's yours? I wanted to get a, a an example of a passion that would fit this person's standards for passion. And he said, uh, Cooking. I love to cook for my wife. I love to just, you know, fool around in the kitchen and try new things and all that. And as soon as he said that, I realized that I was free to say that my passion is dishes. And so I did a lot of dishes. It um, was good for my family. Everybody was really grateful that I was there to do the dishes. And so that's a lot of what I did. I didn't, I don't know. I didn't, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for this. I didn't do much.
0: I was watching baseball. What baseball did you watch?
2: All right, so I did watch baseball. I wasn't sure whether I was going to watch baseball. I didn't know how much of my time I wanted to give to it, or 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 what. And so, before the season began, I decided I was going to try to re-engage my fanness. I was, as most people know, I I grew up a Giants fan and was pretty obsessed with that part of my life. And then around 2010, I started writing about baseball. And also, the Giants won the World Series. And I've never quite been able to 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 differentiate which one of those it was, but. After that, I stopped really caring about the Giants as a, as a team. I didn't really want to watch baseball for uh, for pleasure, and I didn't really care what happened to the Giants. And so I decided this year I was going to try again because I, I had kind of been, been nervous. I didn't know if those muscles would ever grow back, uh, if I was just done as a fan, if I would never be able to to feel what I had felt as a fan before. So I tried, and I Decided I wasn't going to watch anything but the Giants. I was just going to process the season as I used to uh, as a Giants fan and everything that mattered to the Giants I would care about, but everything that didn't, I wouldn't care about. And uh, it was amazing. It was like uh, really the most extraordinary uh, experience I've had in baseball, maybe in my life. Uh, It's up there with like the Stompers summer, I would say, in terms of just like The height of my emotions, the rawness of my emotions uh, came back. And I was shocked. I mean, I was completely shocked and sort of embarrassed at how sincerely I uh, got really, really, really emotionally into uh, the success of this team. (laughs) Uh, And so that was what I did a lot of. I, every, I probably, there's 162 games, and I probably listened to the full equivalent of maybe like 145. I almost missed nothing. I I would basically set aside three hours every day and go take a long walk and listen to the Giants play and then, you know, get back and finish the dishes. And (laughs) I uh, happened to do this during the, you know, I I mean, I, I think maybe the greatest regular season that any team could ever ask for or any fan could ever ask for just like an absolutely extraordinary regular season and I felt just incredibly grateful that I could enjoy it again that I could uh be free to listen to it and like be in uh engaged in their success I just kept thinking oh if I was if I if I was working right now I would uh not care about the Giants success I would actually be rooting against the Giants success because I would be that Guy who was like, "Well, they're going to regress to the mean," and <laughs> um, and I would have like probably found it somewhat offensive that they kept on winning, <laughs> and I certainly wouldn't have like emotionally attached to their winning. And instead, I got to do that, and it was incredible. Uh, just yeah. I can't. I really, honestly, like I'm kind of. This is going to everybody who is out there probably listens to a baseball to or follows a baseball team. As a fan, and thinks that what I'm saying is the most obvious thing in the world. Like, yes, there's a reason that billions of people cheer for sports teams. But I, I honestly, like, I had forgotten that people actually care about this, uh, (laughs) that they they enthuse, and it's like very real. The feelings that you feel are incredibly real, and. Uh, so that was my a lot of my year. That was the most uh, memorable part of my year. Probably was just being a Giants
1: fan again. Yeah, you picked the perfect year to become a fan. Oh my of, gosh, of it was incredible. It couldn't have worked it was out incredible. better. Incredible,
2: <laughs> truly. I mean, the thing that I kept the thing that I kept on thinking about after the season was if, if at any point in this, like you know, obviously you know going in that they're underdogs you know that the Dodgers are going to be really tough um, and every time the Giants would you know give back a game you'd think oh no they'll never recover from that Uh, and if they were ever happened to be behind the Dodgers you thought that well now it's done there's no way they can catch them but you do sort of hold out hope that well maybe the Giants will play really well and maybe the Dodgers will play poorly and maybe you know miracle will happen and they'll manage to beat them but if at any point at any point in the season from day one to I mean like literally like maybe the fourth to last day of the season if at any point you'd said well it's going to take 107 wins the Dodgers are going (laughs) to win 106 I would have given up entirely like even with two weeks left if you'd said well that I mean you know they got to win 11 of the next 13 I would have said well there's no way they're going to win 11 of the next 13 it all felt impossible in retrospect and so it was like a really gracious thing that we didn't know that it was going to take 107 wins i would have i would have quit i almost quit on day um day four i think it was (laughs) the so the first day of the season they went they were they had a six run lead on the mariners and i was you know taking my walk and then i get home and i turn it off and then i i wake up the next day and i see that they have lost that they their bullpen blew a six run lead and i thought well that's about what i expected from this team and then they won the next two Against the Mariners, and then they go to San Diego, which is obviously a a bigger test. Or actually, it turned out not to be. It turned out not to be a bigger test, but at the time it felt like a bigger test. So they go to San Diego and they blow the first game. The bullpen blows that game too, and it's Matt Weasler. And I thought, ah, this is this is about right. You know, a 500 team with Matt Weasler blowing half the games. And then the next day they have a a lead in the ninth. I've I I had been uh, we were kind of on like a little hiking vacation. So I was walking up and down a Home Depot parking lot uh, in Ventura County and uh, listening to the game. And I listened to like the first eight innings in the Home Depot parking lot. And then I went back to the hotel and listened to the ninth inning on my headphones. And it was Jake McGee coming to finish it off. And Jake McGee gets into some trouble and like there's two on and maybe like a one or two run lead and Tatis is on deck or something like that, some details like that. And I thought, if they blow this, I'm done. I'm not going to invest a year of my life caring about a team that is this mediocre. I will quit. I can't do it. I And I realized that I, uh, just, I have it in me to love the game when they're winning. I'm not totally sure I have it in me to love the game uh, or to love the team when they're losing. But anyway, Jake McGee managed to hold on and from that point on, the season was almost perfect. They were a flawless team in every way. It was incredible.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you make it sound as if you went hiking at the Home Depot. <laughs> not, but that was not the the destination. No, <laughs> no. Somewhere we, along the way.
2: We had actually gotten uh, weathered out of ah, our hike. Like We had plans to take a, a boat out to the Channel Islands. And those are these things that are way out in the ocean and then it was too windy, and so all of our boats for the week got canceled, and so then we got stuck in Ventura with no boat. Hmm. Anyway.
0: I'm curious when in the evolution of the home broadcast, the team started to realize like, oh, we're, we're doing a thing, because on the one hand, I think that most teams are like, team broadcasts are on some level like kind of clear-eyed about the quality of the team that they are covering but also you know they work for the team and they're trying to get people enthusiastic about it and you know I think it's appropriate for them to go into the season being like well they haven't lost yet so let's assume they'll just win because why not do that and enjoy baseball but also you know this was this was quite a surprise to a lot of people like The Giants dramatically outperformed their projections, and so I wonder when in the season the home broadcast started being like, "We're we're kind of doing a thing over here. We're we're maybe like observing a a good baseball team." When when did that start for them?
2: That's a little bit of a complicated question that I might get. I'll answer in a little bit of a roundabout way. But another part of the Giants' season that was really emotionally satisfying and and just kind of poignant. Was that like they have this great home broadcast crew of Crook and Kipe and John Miller and Dave Fleming, and they all work so well together, and the chemistry is incredible, and they're all individually quite talented, and they've been together for i mean Fleming was like in his mid twenties I think when he started, maybe even younger, and so they've been together like twenty years and Kruko has had a lot of health limitations over the last few years and so he's kind of limited how many games he does and then Kuiper had a really significant health crisis this year and so he was very limited and so instead of having the two-man crew on each side most of the year it would just be one of them one of John and Dave on each broadcast and so they did not have a lot of that two person conversation. And so you didn't hear a lot of the, the sort of sometimes I think of those broadcasts as basically being a podcast, a baseball podcast yeah. where they're talking to each other for three plus hours and they're describing what's happening, but also they're chatting about various things. And there just wasn't that much chatting. And so in that sense, you there wasn't quite the same amount of reflection that on what was happening that you might expect. But I think each of them was a little bit different. Kruko, I, I remember maybe around like May or June, I heard him talking about how this team had convinced him that, you know he he just had been wrong about them at the be- beginning of the season he he described it as uh comparing it to the twenty sixteen team, which was the best team in baseball for the first half and then completely collapsed in the second half and barely snuck in as a wild card and he said with that team, you thought, how are they doing this and it wasn't that much of a shock when they when they collapsed and right. he said, with this team, it wasn't a shock when they did it every day it It really felt like This is what this team should be doing, given the sort of the depth that they had and the way that, you know, every person who came in the game, for the most part, you thought, oh, yeah, he's good, too. You didn't feel like there were a lot of weak spots. I mean, obviously, there were some star performances that you didn't really buy all the way through or that you had to kind of learn to accept throughout the season, like... You know Brandon Crawford and mm-hmm. and Buster Posey in in some sense just because of the age and Kevin Gosman just because of how incredible he was and and then you know sure enough Gosman quits being that and suddenly it's um, Logan Webb who's doing that and I don't think I didn't believe in Logan Webb until until the playoffs basically like all through September I thought I I just can't accept this so I think w- it, there's different ways of uh, some days you feel like. They're impossibly good, and some days you'd think, well, this is impossible. But anyway, to answer your question, June.
0: Okay.
1: (laughs) I don't doubt that you enjoyed that season much more than you would have otherwise because of the way you were following it, but it's interesting that you say that you're afraid that you would have hated it if you had been following it or covering it professionally, because I feel like... Dodgers fans aside, the Giants were fun for everyone. I mean, they were one of the best stories of the season, I think. And that initial, hey, you're breaking my math. How are you doing this kind of like personal affront because your record estimators are not working so well didn't apply as much to the Giants as to, say, the Mariners, for instance, who exceeded all of their underlying numbers by, I don't know, 14, 15, 16 games, whereas the Giants seemed to deserve their wins all along, which was itself very strange and unexpected and seemed like some sort of tightrope act that couldn't continue all season until it did. But I think because they were actually just such a good team— even though that was extremely surprising, I never felt like, oh, they're a fraud, like they're making a mockery of the predictive not models and I must be insulted on Sabermetrics behalf or something. It was more like, I don't know how this is happening exactly, but they deserve it. And so it's a ton of fun.
2: Yeah, I I think I mean I wouldn't have been I, I offended is is an exaggeration for sure. But it's a little different if you're in my position, because most of the people I know uh who are in my life are who have any engagement with baseball are Giants fans. And so I would have been asked a lot about <laughs> right. yeah. about this. And I would have had to keep on answering. And I would have probably I mean, I don't know. When's the what do you think is the last the latest in the season that either of you said, <laughs> well, it's unlikely they'll be able to keep up with the Dodgers or some reference. I mean, I read pieces in september that were still saying that from oh, yeah. writers that i uh respect and i probably would have at least have been having conversations as well i mean i wouldn't look i would have i would have found a way to enjoy it as a content producer as 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 you both know like you you figure out i, I mean in some ways what we do as as content producers as writers or talkers is we have a sense of where the the good stuff is where the good content is right and then we it just naturally becomes the thing that we like that we like we tell ourselves that we're enjoying this but it's you know it's not the same thing it's it's like kind of artificial i wouldn't Mm -hmm. if if i had been having a blast with the giants as things to talk about and write about and then they had blown it in the last two weeks I would have had like no negative emotions about that. <laughs> it would have all been uh, from a, a a definite reserve. A place of reserve. Yeah. And you know, I could it's conceivable that I would have enjoyed the
1: collapse just as much. You know what I mean? <laughs> I remember in mid-June, I guess around the time you're saying maybe the tone on the Giants broadcast started to change. We had Grant brisby on one of the times we had him on last year to try to explain the Giants. And at that time, I think we were acknowledging that they were probably better than we all had thought, but it was more of a, well, can they hold on, <laughs> basically? Because they'd built up a bit of a lead. I mean, they never had a huge lead at that point, so it was more like can they be a wildcard team or have they built up enough of a banked win stockpile here that they can be bad for the rest of the season and still make the playoffs. And then by the time we had Grant and Eric Steven on again at the beginning of September to talk about that huge Giants-Dodgers series, I think at that point we had come around to it actually being a good team. Although if I had to put myself back in that mindset, I probably would have still picked the Dodgers at that point to win the division.
2: Yeah. I remember... I remember thinking in, I, I think I want to say it was like late April. Oh, well, now I can see it actually. Uh, is the Philly series in mid April? They were, they entered that series nine and six. They won two out of three. And the third loss was like just basically, they very easily could have won it. It was like a coin flip. They had this, uh, if I remember this right, they had this great comeback. They had this huge hit. Darren Ruff, yeah, here it is. Darren Ruff had a three run pinch hit home run. To tie the game in the seventh, and then uh, they lost when Bryce Harper homered, or something—I don't remember. Something, something happened, but they could have won that game too. And just at that point, like they were twelve and uh, they were uh, twelve and eleven and seven at the end of that series, and I already thought, "Oh, this team is special." And so, of course, you wise people, you know, like you can tell that that is not true. That like a fan who sees their mediocre team jump out to an 11 and 7 start does not have his finger on the pulse of reality <laughs> but enough about the mariners but when when you well i mean the yeah the mariners <laughs> similarly like they probably you know a, a fan might have been optimistic about them in april and then you know it turns out oh they were right they were right to be optimistic were they really no like no. They, the right. everything that happened between April and September was probably the less likely outcome but when you're in the situation when you're kind of uh, emotionally invested in it I don't know you accept it pretty early I, I think you accept it a lot earlier than you need to because why not like what's the what's the point of being cynical about the team that you want to see win
0: right. I'm sure that there are notable exceptions to this, but I think that most people who view baseball through an analytics lens, it's less that they're offended by teams that overperform. I think they get fussy about, I'll just speak for myself, like people not understanding what projections are really saying or for, or like, that we can note that a collapse might be imminent, but that doesn't mean we're saying you can't enjoy things along the way. Although I guess if you're a fan, that's probably a distinction without much of a difference. But yeah, it was this was a year that presented a lot of opportunities for people to like try to dunk on projections or playoff odds. And I was like, I'm I'm simply begging you to read our explainer about this, please. Like I am <laughs> I am simply engaged in begging.
2: Yeah. I have DMs of me dunking on playoff odds, just, just to be clear. Like I <laughs> like I, I uh, was, remember Eric Hartman?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. yeah. Long time listener. I, yeah, he and I were uh, talking before the, the season began about uh, what annoyed us about playoff odds, team playoff odds. And I've had a long time issue with one particular aspect of how they work. And so he and I were, you know, back and forth about how annoyed we were by playoff odds. And so then- Come, oh, here it is, October 3rd. Uh, I just sent him a note that said, play off odds, shake my hand. And he said, how long have you been sitting on that one? Uh, <laughs> so I, did, I I appreciate that people do kind of, find, uh, when it's, when I don't know, like, we got to talk, you know, writers and podcasters, they got to say things. Right. But there is really, like, when, so, somewhere between, like the the national writer who's talking about baseball from an objective third party perspective, and then the fan who is just experiencing it and and enjoying it, there is like a feeling of like why are you saying this like what, what why are you who cares what who cares right. why 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 do you have to come in and say this and of course, the reason that they have to come in and say it is that it's their job and that they're fans of twenty nine other teams and that people like this conversation and um, You know, sorry that it bumped into your ears, but I, I was annoyed at times by people telling me that the Giants were going to regress. I mean, I'm not dumb. I know <laughs> that they are, but they didn't. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I can see how that would be frustrating. I think the only aspect of it on the other side that sort of frustrates me is if fans will not acknowledge that a team is winning in kind of a weird way or a fluky way which is not to say a less fun way it might be a more fun way the mariners doing what they did last year was extremely fun i think and the more improbable it was in a way the more i enjoyed it which i guess was partly because it's the mariners and how can you not root for the mariners to make the playoffs after all this time but also i think when you can quantify how unlikely it seems to be or that they're doing something that's never been done before that makes me enjoy it more. I mean, I don't have a stake in like personal predictions. I'm not wagering on these things. And it's not like part of my professional reputation is that I'm some soothsayer who everyone trusts to pick who's going to win the division or whatever. So I don't really particularly care if uh, someone wins or doesn't win. I I just kind of like the good story. And sometimes the good story could be someone who's playing way over their heads. And I guess the only part of it that bothers me, it's maybe an exaggeration even to say that it bothers me but if we can't agree like hey this team is you know doing something that is incredibly clutch and historically speaking that is probably not super sustainable which doesn't mean that we can't appreciate it and enjoy it and marvel at it but you know just the idea that when you watch that team every day you just fully buy in on, no, this team is special in a way that no other team ever has been or ever will be. And when they do it, it is quote unquote real, right? As opposed to just, well, it's really fun that this is happening. (laughs) You know, I wouldn't trade this roster for a roster of another team that has the same record, but a better underlying run differential or whatever, right?
2: Yeah, I think that, in fact, what you just said is kind of the um, kind of goes to the to the divide. What you just described, what makes a good story and how you can appreciate an unlikely team when they're a good story. And I think that there's basically two there's two tracks of of baseball fandom. Um, you know, you got your you're fans of a team and what they like about baseball is or what what drives their energy what drives their interest and their energy is self-interest they have attached themselves emotionally to the success of a team and if that team does well then they get rewards and so they're self-interested in the outcomes and i think that's true to uh, that f- i think fantasy baseball and gambling are attempts to recreate that you're saying that you want to be uh, you want to you are Actively attaching yourself to the results of this game so that you'll have interest in them and so okay So that's one side the self-interested side and then there's the the sort of more removed critical Kind of way of watching baseball where you're like, oh, well, this is a this is an institution that I uh, am, Am kind of interested in studying and observing. These are stories. I'm, you know, connected to the plot Um, I'm interested in making sense of what it all means and Finding out how things are going to change and you watch it the same way that you know Maybe you watch other stories, you know that you read novels or that you follow politics or that you you have hobbies Basically, these are hobbies where you maybe you want to master them. You want to feel, you know sort of a sense of of like completion that you have like really mastered this hobby and the first one is self-interested and the second one is much more story focused and like assessing it as a as an entity of like is this producing value for like the sport or for the um you know for the story and so when you're self-interested you just don't care if it's a good story at all it's like (laughs) whether there's great drama doesn't matter like you almost don't even need to watch the games. If if you could extend the feeling of finding out who won over the course of 3 hours without even watching the game, it would probably be just dissatisfying. You're you're like watching the thing spin and then you're finding out if you won. Um and then when you're when you're in the more uh, removed like baseball as a as a bigger thing sense, then you are constantly assessing it for whether the story is good. And in that case, you don't even really care about the outcome necessarily you just care about the execution of the outcome. And so so here on this podcast we were always talking about it from the latter perspective and we're measuring the truth of a thing or we're measuring the drama of a thing or the fun of a thing or the legacy of the thing or the memories of the thing or you know the um metaphor of the thing or you know the the character growth in the thing or what it you know raised in us uh to see Clayton Kershaw in the dugout of the thing and th- that's the conversation that we're having and it it's great it it reaches a an audience with this um shared broad interest but then to to the fan of the specific team all that stuff is just like completely irrelevant. Like it just doesn't matter. It would be like telling someone who's bet $100 on a game what it all meant after after right. <laughs> <laughs> like what the swings and win probability meant or whatever. They don't care. They don't care if it if if it, the game turns on, you know, a, you know, a bolt of lightning, you know, striking the the catcher catcher dead. They just want to win their $100. And uh, so it's it's just it's a weird conversation to be on the other side of, basically, um, where, like, frankly, I just did not care what people were writing about the Giants from (laughs) from the like the more literary perspective. It just meant nothing to to me. (laughs) So anyway, that's all that's it's good. It's all good. These are all good. These are two good tracks for the sport. I just didn't really relate to one of them.
0: Then I guess maybe the, the answer to my question that I'm about to ask you is like not at all. But like, how, how much did you find yourself like doing the things that you would do when you were covering the sport where you'd watch something and say, oh, I got to go figure out like what's going on with that guy's oh, zero. change it. Did,
1: of, yeah, did no. you update your tickler story file one no. time last I,
2: year? <laughs> I, there was one day all year where I thought I would like to write something about what I'm seeing. Mm. One day only, and otherwise
1: Is it giants related
2: it was it was in the lcs it was after the Giants had been eliminated.
1: someone step on a bat or something actually <laughs> it, it, it might have been at home plate
2: it, it might have <laughs> been like early on in the lCS or something like that because people were trying to get me to root against the Dodgers, and I didn't care about the dodgers i I didn't even really care about the l the, the division series. I really cared a great, great deal about the regular season. To me, it felt like someone wins the World Series every year. It doesn't tell you that much, but no one ever loses a division with 106 wins. And to do that to the Dodgers felt like an incredible thing that like would top all things that the Giants could ever do again. So I really, really, really wanted them to win the division. And then when they did, I almost felt like, okay, well, the division series doesn't matter that much to me because... If I'm going to now say that they have to do more than what I'm basically saying is that the season wasn't enough, and I felt like the season was enough. The season was all I asked from them. And so if they lost the Division Series, fine, they lost the Division Series. And I got, you know, I, I followed the Division Series. I rooted, I, you know, I drove 700 miles to watch it in my friend's living room for game five because I I was emotional enough to do that. But I, I didn't really feel too much hurt when they lost, and... And then I didn't really care at all what happened to the Dodgers, even though as a Giants fan, I'm supposed to hate the Dodgers because I really felt like the season had ended in the regular season. And so that was I had strong feelings that we that we that I that Giants fans were dishonoring the regular season achievement, the magnitude of it, the historical impact of it, the, the way we felt. The emotions that we felt on the last day of the season were so heightened and so strong and and unreproducible. And then to immediately then turn to, and now we need more, felt wrong to me. And so I, I had that sense that I would have maybe liked to have written in the immediate aftermath of, of that. Okay. Anyway, uh, but otherwise, no, I didn't check the, you know, anybody's change-up spin. I was, in fact, the dumb, I was the dumb fan. I was constantly like texting my friend like they never get the guy in from third why don't they shorten up and having like dumb conversations about you know Brandon Crawford being the MVP um, and just like I remember saying they should leave Lamont Wade off the postseason roster and like just really dumb stuff Um, so I didn't try to be smart at all is what I'm saying I didn't try I just really leaned into the
1: emotions. So with your newfound fan brain, do you believe that the Giants are good, and <sighs> that this is sustainable, that the post Posey and I guess post Gossman Giants can keep this up or that they have some secret sauce to make players better and that we should all think when a player signs with the Giants now, oh, he's going to get good the way that we have thought that about the Dodgers or the Rays, for instance?
2: Uh, So um, the thing about that question is that that question is asking me to think about the future. And the other feeling I felt after the season was, oh, no, they're going to do this again. And I didn't know if I had the emotion to do another season, either of them playing well or of them, you know, like inevitably winning 78 games. Well, as of today, they might not do it again. We still don't know. <laughs> sure I they really, will. <laughs> I this is not. I I know that I am alone in this, but if they're ever gonna have a lockout that lasts forever, I would like it to be now. Like this would be a great time for them to end baseball, in my opinion. I'm not saying that I prefer that necessarily to the alternative, but look, the glass is already broken. The league is going to end at some point. Might as well be now. Like we're we're gonna have to deal with the loss of baseball at some point in our (laughs) life or death, (laughs) and so you might as well just might as well do it now, uh, so that I don't have to cope with the emotions of watching the Giants come up. You know, either a little short or much, 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 much more short. Go out on a high
1: note for you personally. (laughs) Go out on a high note.
2: Yeah, I mean it all was perfect, and Mm -hmm. so yeah. uh, Anyway, I have found myself though walking over the last couple weeks and having these moments where I think, oh, I wish there was a game on instead of this dumb podcast. Not this specific <laughs> dumb podcast, but the dumb <laughs> podcast that I'm listening to mm-hmm. in that moment. So anyway, so I have not engaged a lot with the question of whether the Giants are going to be good. I don't know. I mean it this is what three three years in a row that the Giant that that Farhan has managed to find a bunch of really good players off the scrap heap. I don't know yeah. if I believe that they're making players reliably better and they've they've had some whiffs too but it seems like they were genuinely really good last year that those were good players up and down the roster and they didn't you know they, they didn't follow the traditional path to get there or anything like that so uh, i'm not i don't feel any urge to to diminish <laughs> to diminish mm-hmm. them why you're wanting to get me to say that they're bad <laughs> <laughs> i
1: don't want to do that (laughs) no i don't want them to be bad i don't (laughs) think but i guess we could probably look at some projection somewhere but you don't want to do that anymore
2: (laughs) yeah it's basically the same team next year except without you know without buster posey and without gosman and otherwise it's mostly the same so i don't know i did have one of my uncles kept asking me if this Was uh, if they fail Like he had an interesting way of dealing with the summer Where he kept asking me like if they don't make it This year does this all Mean good things for next year Which is it I found interesting It's interesting how everybody kind of copes with Uncertainty in different ways And that was his way of dealing with it But I didn't really tell him Oh yeah this is a powerhouse This team is going to be amazing forever Because they probably won't But on the other hand like a bunch of players Who, you know, broke out this year or in the last couple years are still young or still, you know, gonna be on the team for a considerable amount of time. The bullpen's all gonna be the same and Logan Webb's, you know, basically like, you know, was practically a rookie this year and Lamont Wade Jr. was, you know, practically a rookie this year in in terms of like uh service time. And uh, you know, Darren Ruff's around and, and I'm not saying that those guys are superstars. I'm saying that a bunch of good stuff happened that is not the 2013 Red Sox where they all immediately hit free agency.
0: Right. <laughs> Did any roster favorites emerge for you? I mean, you only really watched the Giants, but was there anyone where you were like, oh, I get to watch Lamont Wade today? Oh, what a good day them. to watch Lamont Wade.
2: Oh my goodness. All of them. Every single one of them at some point. And then at other points, you know, you'd, they'd come up and you'd. Just could hardly kick the ground hard enough at how frustrated you were that they were the ones coming up with the runner on second and, and two outs, but but I, yeah let me I'm just glancing at this roster right now and enjoying the memories uh, <laughs> i I would say that i I mean, oh oh, all of them, every one of them this is such a special team. Wow, uh, everyone but Matt Whistler. Who I think I pronounced Weasler earlier. I'm still undecided. Any votes?
0: It's Whistler.
2: Whistler. Whistler. Yeah. Not Weasler.
0: You know how you can remember, if you if you care to remember. Yeah. Like if there was onomatopoeia for your Mm -hmm. pitch face, Mm -hmm. and your name, he would have it because he he looks like Whistler face. He looks like he's whistling when he oh like gets to the end of his delivery. So. That's how I remember, because he—he literally looks like he's about to do a whistle. I'm an awkward whistler. I'm a bad whistler, so I have.
2: You have a whistling face.
0: I just look and sound like a dope. So, um, yeah, you know, I'm envious of those who can whistle with any kind of musicality. And I don't, to be clear, know if he can do that. But anyway, that's some stuff about whistling.
2: All right, mm-hmm. I will say that I, if I had to do a tot like ten, the Brandon Belt captain game. Mm-hmm. Uh was incredible. Do you guys know the Brandon Belt-Captain game? Was that a big thing?
1: Refresh my memory.
2: They had kind of hit like a mini scuffle, a mini slump. They, I don't know, mm-hmm. like had lost two in a row or something. <laughs> and so Brandon Belt fashioned a crude C out of electric oh, tape right, right, right. on his yes. jersey. Yes. And then mm-hmm. went out and, and, you know, like hit seven home runs. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Brandon Belt-Captain game was incredible. So I'll love Brandon Belt forever. The... Back-to-back, there was a series in Oakland in August when I think it went Lamont Wade first and then Donovan Solano second, but in back-to-back games, they each had incredible late home runs. And both of them seemed impossible. And the Solano one especially seemed impossible. So I would say that I love Lamont Wade Jr. and Donovan Solano. Steven Duggar for a month was the best player that they had on the team at any point in the year. And just a month. But Steven Duggar is a is definitely going to be a favorite. Oh, my gosh. Mike Talkman had the worst year. And he had <laughs> two of the biggest games, two of the biggest moments of the season where he hit a walk-off, I think he hit a walk-off Grand Slam, or no, an extra inning Grand Slam, when nobody on the Giants was worse at any point in the year than Mike Talkman. at that point. He was completely hopeless. He'd gone like two for 50-something. He was striking out in two-thirds of his bats. It was so painful. And he gets behind 0-2 in an extra inning game, and they try to throw him a fastball inside, and he hits a grand slam. And then he robbed a home run, like a what would have been, I think, a walk-off home run. So Mike Talkman, and then they released him. It was so sad. He's a favorite. <laughs> Gossman, oh my gosh. The first half, nobody better. The second half, worst baseball I've ever seen. He was the worst pitcher in baseball for for like a good six weeks. He was the worst pitcher in baseball. And they managed to win like 60% of the games he started during that stretch anyway. And then he figured it out at the end and it was so exciting. That was maybe the most exciting development in the whole season was when all of a sudden out of nowhere, Gossman splitter came back and it just was back and it was incredible. So he's a favorite. (sighs) And then like the whole bullpen, the bullpen (laughs) was constant and
1: great. Oh, I love this team. <laughs> and you said you were consuming the season primarily through the lens of the Giants. So what was your awareness of or interest in other stories? Like, I don't know, Shohei Otani or foreign substances or whatever the big storylines of the season were.
2: Hardly any. I looked at the Cy Young voting in the American League and I was able to recognize one, one good season that I had been aware of. I, didn't, like, I did not know Robbie Ray had been good up to that point point. <laughs> and so really almost nothing in the american league and then you know teams come in and you hear all their stories right when they come in and so i knew most of what had happened in the national league got it and then sticky substances was a big deal because it, uh, it came the giants <laughs> i mean it right it came like like and the Dodgers, 80 like really. yeah it came like eight minutes before kevin gosman lost his splitter And I don't know if they had anything to do with each other, but it made you think, well, that's not coming back. Like it made you feel really scared that that was that.
1: So I guess we should talk a little bit about you before we finish. I mean, we talked about the dishes, which is, I guess, the most important thing. But did Sam enjoy the giant season was not the number one question we got. I'm sure there were some people who were wondering that. But also about how you handled that year away from working or at least baseball work and what you plan to do next. And I, like you, have also been through the experience of losing a job at ESPN and Like you, I guess I didn't really take it all that personally. I mean, it sounds like you didn't take it all that personally because you're part of this enormous corporation and it's not like they were evaluating you and deciding you weren't worthy. I mean, when Grantland ended, I don't think it was because my articles were not good enough. And when you and a lot of other people at ESPN got laid off, it was because of all sorts of major market forces and pandemics and what have you. So you said at the time, you're not taking it personally. But what were you thinking then? I mean, you were under contract for a while, clearly, as I was when Grantland ended. So that kind of took away the immediate pressure of how am I going to make a living now? But what did you feel? Were you sad? Were you relieved on some level? Uh,
2: Yeah, I mean, you're always relieved on some level because every job has got these very specific acute stresses that you can't get away from. And you think, oh, if only I could... Uh, leave this then all the stress would go away and of course Mm -hmm. every job has those and so then you eventually realize that um, you know that that didn't solve anything but at the moment you're thinking oh wow the thing that's due Tuesday I don't even have to do it Uh, (laughs) which is how fast it came like I I mean truly like this is again like gonna sound like really obvious but if you're gonna lose a job losing your job two weeks after they renew your contract is incredible (laughs) (laughs) Because not only, not only do you then get the year off, but you leave having just gotten affirmation from them that they want to like they like you, and you. How often do you end up leaving a job where you don't feel like you had done something wrong, and that you know like you had you had to leave because you had failed in some way? Mm -hmm. I mean, I I it was like that was like almost the only day of the experience at ESPN that there wasn't some part of me that was worrying that I was failing because I had <laughs> just gotten my contract renewed. They had just affirmed me. And so that in some ways was really great. And then of course I didn't, you know, I, I got the, the year off and I didn't feel too stressed about it. I was, I sort of had a preliminary stress that that when the year ended, I was gonna feel a great deal of stress. Mm -hmm. And so I had to turn my brain off. It took a little while to turn that part of my brain off. And then mostly I enjoyed it. I had, you know, one of the listeners of this podcast named Andrew had reached out to me a couple times in the course of, you know, recording this podcast. And he had given me great encouragement in my life in, in his own way. In the past. And so he reached out that day just to, you know, say sorry about it. And he hoped things would go well. And we started talking and it turned out that he had basically he was coming to the end of almost an exactly identical scenario where uh, he had had gotten basically a year where uh, he was under contract and couldn't work and had to think about what he was going to do and he had changed careers which I had been thinking about doing and he had gone through the stress of like kind of uh, adjusting one's identity around a new career and just reading his you know his email that day was very encouraging and then I talked to Andrew like a lot throughout the year and in some ways I I considered him to be um, like the defining text of my year it's just like his emails telling me like, okay, here's what's going to happen next. Here's what you're going to do next. And here's how you're going to feel. Um, so I, I was really lucky to have that. And anyway, uh, I forget exactly what the question was, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, had, you know, there are other things that I had, you know, that I have thought I would like to do with my life. And over the, Past several years, there have been times where I've thought, well, someday ESPN will tell me when it's time to go pursue those things. And so it felt like they did. It felt like they said, okay, Sam, no, you're done now here. <laughs> uh, go do those other things. Yeah. And so, you know, I spent a year basically being able to think really hard about whether those other things were actually what I wanted to do. Once it became realistic for me to try doing other things, whether I would still want to, whether the fear, Would uh, overcome me, or whether I would feel more at peace as as I pursued them, Uh, and it turned out I felt more at peace. And so I, I mean, right, I don't know what's going to happen to me, but I think I have a different job in a different in a different field that is probably going to happen for me in the next couple days. Uh, Mm -hmm. I feel stupid saying that because I think I just (laughs) jinxed it and it's going to be embarrassing if it falls (laughs) through. But I think I'm just going to do something else, basically, and Mm -hmm. uh, it's not going to be baseball. It's not going to be writing. And I don't know if that's for a short season or forever, but I'm going to try that. So,
1: and I guess not doing what you had been doing for a year or more, and it sounds like not missing it much, is probably a good indication (laughs) that maybe it's time to do something else, or at least that it's not a bad idea to pursue something else. Because, you know, if you're forcibly withdrawn from your occupation and then you find that you don't miss it much, and in some senses you're happy to be released from it, then yeah, maybe we could all benefit from a push like that every now and then. Yeah, I've came to that conclusion, what you just said as well. <laughs> um,
2: I don't think, look, I, I don't think that it's all that clear. I think that we do kind of like our habits form us, what we're doing forms our interests. And if if I had a deadline to write an article that was due in three days, I think that the adrenaline would kick back in and I would want to do it really well and I would feel enthusiasm to do the research and to do the writing to make it good. And I would feel the stimulation that comes from having a deadline. And then I would feel the, um, the, the warmness of it being completed. And I could very easily get back into it. Like, uh, I think those emotions would come back to me, but when you're not doing it, you're not getting any of those feedbacks. You're not putting yourselves yourself in any of those uh, rhythms and you don't miss it. And so I didn't miss it like at all. I Like I said, I didn't ever think, like, what's missing from my life? Oh, it's, you know, writing about the A.L. Cy Young. And so that was telling. But I also don't think that it was, you know, like conclusive about anything. I think there's many things that one could do that they would find <laughs> meaning and happiness in. Uh, and I found meaning and happiness doing what I was doing up until December of 2019. Uh, 2020 what month was that what year was that 2020 (laughs) 2020 2020. yeah and I think that I'm gonna now probably find a quite similar set of emotions doing something else Uh, probably will end up being pretty similar how my mind engages with it because it's still my mind doing the engaging Um, so yeah I mean I don't want to give the impression that like oh yeah I was burnt out I couldn't do another day I (laughs) it was fun it was fine Mm -hmm. but you're right I I didn't feel like I, had, I was continually being thwarted in, um, <laughs> yeah. in my quest for self-actualization because I couldn't, you know, write about a, yeah. a baseball game. Right.
1: And, and this job kind of makes you into a public figure in a weird yeah. way. I mean, a small scale way, obviously, for people like us, but you have this sort of niche celebrity to the few people who listen or read you and for some people I feel like that's a big draw and that's a big incentive and they don't want to lose that and they want more and more whereas with you I've never gotten the impression that that was something (laughs) you sought out and if anything it was something you actively avoided I mean I know that you like people saying nice things to you and enjoying your work and paying you compliments as we all do (laughs) but some of the other things that come with that didn't seem like something that you would be sorry to lose necessarily whereas a lot of people once they get a taste of the faves or the retweets or whatever they have a hard time letting that go
2: yeah i don't. i i don't i don't know myself well enough to really answer that question i think it's fine you know me better probably in some ways so i'm just nodding yeah, writing
0: yeah. is such a funny weird job it's a chore at times sometimes it's great i miss writing and then i go to do it and i'm like why does anyone do
2: that yeah
0: (laughs) because even when you're in proximity to writing a lot right like you're editing writing a lot and you are engaged with that every day it atrophies so fast the muscle just atrophies so quickly and you can build it back up it's not like you know i don't think that writing operates the same way that like velocity does where like at a certain point it just is only going to trend in one direction and you can't get it back but it takes a, a long time such that you're like wow i i had to stay up until three in the morning to write a, a gamer that 10 people are going to read because we're publishing it on a sunday <laughs> so just like pick a very specific and recent um personal example so yeah. It's weird. It's a weird exercise and it's amazing that anyone does it. It's not as amazing that anyone does it, you know, it's not on the scale of like pitching or catching, but it ranks above other things. You know, it's like like maybe plumbing. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> about plumbing.
1: There are some writers who say or or act as if, you know, it needs to come out, right? Like it's just this pressure that is pushing on them at all times. And if they don't express those thoughts and those feelings via writing, then they will feel stopped up in some way. And I don't think that applies to all writers. And of course, you don't have to publish what you're writing necessarily to get that feeling. I mean, I can certainly (laughs) go a day and not mind that I'm not writing that day. I think I would get antsy after some time of not doing that, just because it's something I do enjoy and get some gratification out of. But I think with some people, it's like, no, I got to write this many words every day. And maybe they have imposed that on themselves to the point that it's become a habit that they feel like they can't go without. And maybe they actually could if they had to for a while, if a company was paying them not to. But I don't know whether you've felt that at all. It, it sounds like at least in a baseball sense. And of course, there are many other things that you can write about. And as you said, you can exercise your brain in other ways. I was thinking of this because it's kind of like, I mean, you're, you know, at an age where you could be like Albert Pujols or someone, right? Like you could be walking away from the thing that you have been doing a long time and starting a second career, essentially, or I I guess it would be more like a third or fourth career or something for you. But a baseball player who's walking away at the same age might be financially set so they don't have to work anymore and so many of them it seems like have a hard time walking away from the game and so they try to stay in it one way or another but as you said writing isn't necessarily like playing baseball in that you can exercise the same mental muscles doing many other things i mean there are few things you can do and get paid for that don't involve writing on some level or at least thinking in a critical way as you would when you are writing so it's not quite like you're hanging them up from a playing career, where it's hard to get that same adrenaline rush or to exercise those same physical skills.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I I love writing a, a good email.
1: You know, mm-hmm. I
2: I had a really good time this year writing Christmas cards to people. When we would give our little gift bags to our friends, and I'd write a little card, and instead of just writing, you know, Merry Christmas, I'd write a, like a note. And I just felt really proud of the notes. I thought like this is gonna <laughs> this is gonna bring this person a little bit of joy i I feel like i really I landed this one uh so uh so yeah, there's definitely still a lot of uh, writing in life, and you know, there's a lot of podcasting in life too. You just like a lot of what conversation <laughs> is is just basically like finding finding that opening for a conversation to to really expand and flourish and become collaborative and so uh you know that that's all that's all still there for sure mm-hmm. i also might be writing a book i don't know i Ooh. i'm like i've got a i've got a i don't know <laughs> i'm not i don't i'm trying to i don't want to hate the thing and so i'm not making myself do it um mm-hmm. but i do have a, a a thing i'd like to write um, and I have done, you know, a little bit of, uh, I don't know. I don't know how much I want to non-baseball, I assume. No, no, actually, uh, yeah. Like I might still, I don't know. I might, I don't know. Look, I don't, I don't want to close anything off i mean i don't i don't want people if i'm if i'm in three years or or three months if i'm like writing baseball articles on the internet i don't want people to think ah sam he's he swore he'd never do this now he's a loser i don't want that <laughs> it would be great i would love it if i if i felt uh, you know like i don't want to look i don't want to get too into my internal thought processes here or anything like that but uh there i don't know there's a there's a, a I I got a book in me, and I'll do it if I want to.
0: I think one expression of affection for other people it is not the only expression of affection for others, but one expression of affection that we can grant to people we care about is to leave open the possibility that they will be moved in surprising ways. And oh. so I yeah. hope that uh, I hope that everyone does that for you.
2: If you come, you know, if
0: ten minutes from now, you go. Eh, actually, you know.
2: Oh my gosh, Meg! Thank you. You're welcome. That's so. I love that. I, can you just say? Can you say that exactly again? I just want to <laughs> hear it again. No, I'll go back and listen. I'll hit the fifteen seconds thing. No, <laughs> but, I think that's yeah. great.
0: I mean, like, uh, I don't know. I find it very hard to predict how I'm going to feel from moment to moment. So, I I would hope that um, other people don't hold me. Um, To a consistent standard on that score and I I find very little reason to hold others to a consistent standard on that score. We're often Mm. surprised by things. So
2: yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, I guess you didn't plan it this way, but it kind of fits with the whole Bill Walsh, Theo Epstein 10 year idea, right? Of like doing something different after 10 years, whereas in Epstein's case, it might just be running that team instead of this team, whereas (laughs) you're potentially (laughs) talking about doing something totally different. But the idea is that you might get a little stagnant, or you might lose a little of your enthusiasm for the thing that you're doing, or maybe your message as a leader will wear off or whatever it is. And so maybe it can be helpful to tried doing something different. And obviously, a lot of people are doing different things these days, whether by choice or necessity, people quitting their jobs or changing careers, etc.
2: Yeah, I definitely, I also noted that there was a kind of a decades thing happening in my life, and that mm-hmm. my 20s were defined by kind of a set of goals that I had when I was in my early 20s. And then my 30s were defined by a set of goals that I had in my early 30s. And I didn't really relate to either of those sets of goals anymore. And so I do think there's uh like that uh, roughly a a ten year cycle uh seems like a good organizing principle in one's life if you don't get too beholden to it
1: mm-hmm.
2: and like honestly like I didn't feel like I was on the precipice of some like great leap forward either in my <laughs> in my creative life like i I feel like maybe maybe there uh sometime in the future maybe I will be on the precipice of a great leap forward in my creative life, but I was not like right about to to try new things i was i was doing the same thing all the time Uh, and uh, I could have kept doing that and it would have been satisfying but I didn't feel like I was uh, giving up like the the best of myself and so maybe I just need to uh, maybe I just need to step away and recharge in a different way or maybe that's it I don't know I feel now I feel like this is more than I planned to give. More than I more than I I did not intend to be saying these things out loud for other people to hear.
1: To lead it all. Jeez. Ugh. Well, I'm sure a lot of people will relate to that experience. Yeah. And, and even people who have gotten a job that they thought was their dream job or that actually was their dream job for a while and then it ceased to be or they had some other dream that they decided to pursue or circumstances conspired to push them in that direction so we've all been there even if we're within the same general occupation or industry i think we're all trying to branch out and uh flex different muscles or whatever and i've certainly tried to do that too so I guess it's been good to hear from you, and I think people will miss hearing from you and reading you on baseball as they have been for the past year plus, and I hope that you will come back from time to time at least and share your fan feelings, and we can tell you which American League pitchers are good now, maybe <laughs> if that is appealing to you.
2: Oh yeah, I could play he Good. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, with everyone now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: we could do is he good just on the Giants bullpen. I could just name <laughs> Giants relievers, and I I bet I don't know. I'm not sure how well I'll you know, do on him. <laughs> yeah.
0: Sam, may I may I say something earnest that will embarrass you? And if it embarrasses you too much, you can say that's too much, and then we'll cut it.
2: Uh yeah, I promise though that the I don't this notion that I got that I'm embarrassed by compliments. I don't know where it came from. I love them, I love them all the time. <laughs> well, so if you're gonna say something nice,
0: I'm gonna say something nice. Well, I was just gonna, I was gonna say a, a thank you, and I worry that it'll sound like too definitive because, like, I I plan on you know bothering you from time to time and just like you know continuing to know you. So I don't mean it to sound like a, an end point. but like um, I I remember with great clarity where I was when you emailed me while you were still at Baseball Prospectus, and I was. I think probably mostly just writing at Lookout Landing uh and and asked me if I wanted to to maybe do a little bit of writing for BP and you wrote a very nice email about it that said far nicer things about my writing than they merited at the time but meant a great deal to me and uh I just would like to say thank you for doing that because you know there are a couple of pushes in in my life as a baseball writer that really altered my trajectory and and sort of put it on the path to where it has landed. And I would count that email as one of them. And I quite like where I've landed. So um, I wanna just say, uh, hey, thanks for doing that. Cause it, it uh, meant a great deal and it changed a great deal, uh, whether you m- realized it would at the time or not. So, hey, well, thanks, man.
2: I'm very, uh, you're very welcome. And you probably remember this, but I, I at, at the time I was very scared that I was gonna be too late, that I was gonna like reach out to you and ask you to write and you were gonna say, oh, sorry, I'm already, you know, someone else hired me 12 minutes ago like it felt like there was just no no there was no suppressing your talent and so it was very obvious that someone was uh gonna luck in to being i don't know to, to giving you a larger role than you had and so you know it was easy but anyway I'm, I'm glad to thank you for saying that
0: yeah and i will echo ben and say that i hope you come buy every now and again if you feel moved. And I also promise that if you decide to not be moved in that way, we will uh, not be grumpy about it at all.
1: (laughs) You can't have that many dishes to do unless uh, your new job is running a restaurant or something. Oh. uh, (laughs) Don't want to spoil anything. I have no, no inside info.
0: Dish doing is vital because, you know, I think that people who decide to be the primary cook should not have to clean up, and so you're, you know, you're playing an important role in the in the food ecosystem, uh, whether it's in your house or 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 elsewhere. So
1: yeah, I'm just trying to calculate how much of the day that actually eats up, because it's not like you have a, a enormous family, you can't be making that many dishes dirty, <laughs> but I guess especially after you got so good and efficient at it.
2: Yeah, yeah, I also wondered how i had so many dishes <laughs> uh and and i there was a I, I did sometimes feel like there was uh an intentional creation of dirty dishes uh,
1: yeah i was wondering were you making more dishes dirty so that you would have dishes to do
2: yeah i know <laughs> i can't make the math work particularly but um yeah it took a while still right? dishes to do right now i'm looking at dishes that <laughs> have popped up in the last in the last yeah. hour
1: well, you said at the start that you don't mind being interrupted during dish doing, but thank you for pausing to talk to us and everyone for a little bit and I thank you as well for the part that you've played in my career and all the fun and good things that we've gotten to do together that I think we're both pretty proud of. So, I am uh, glad to have worked with you and known you and hope I will continue to and hopefully we will hear from you or people will hear from us via you about what you're doing next or maybe not <laughs> maybe there will be a new topic to speculate about in the facebook group what is sam's new job but uh if you do write that baseball book at least please let us know we'll, we'll have you on to promote it <laughs> oh, wow you you'll do that really yeah. for me <laughs> Yep. wow <laughs> we'll tell people where to pre-order it and everything <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, I will.
2: And by the way, I I I don't know. I I feel weird. I am sorry that I kept everybody waiting. I didn't I didn't know that I was going to make this decision until pretty late and then I feel mm-hmm. like kind of a jerk. So, and it was
1: very sudden. I mean, there was no chance for you to say goodbye on the podcast because you were prohibited from being on baseball podcasts. I mean, I guess maybe we could have figured out some sort of off topic code kind of thing but would it have been worth endangering your contract terms who knows so it happened (laughs) very suddenly to the point that uh, we sam was here and then sam was not here and that was probably jarring for some people but that's how it happened (laughs) so now we know and it's nice to hear from you again and good luck with whatever's next thanks All right, that will do it for today. Thanks, as always, for listening, and thanks for sticking with us during the uncertainty about Sam and during all of the podcast lineup changes over the years. I know a lot of you have listened throughout multiple incarnations of the show and hopefully have appreciated the different flavors of Effectively Wild and the qualities that each host has brought to the show. And hopefully we will have Sam on to talk to him from time to time. I think some of you who had been reading the Sam Miller tea leaves over the past year plus noticed that he had liked a tweet for the first time in a couple years by the former Fangraphs writer, R.J. McDaniel, another great baseball writer who has walked away from writing about baseball recently. And R.J. said, I cannot begin to describe the sense of calm and inner peace I get every time I see a random transaction notification pop up and simply swipe it away, never to be thought of again. Maybe that was a clue as to which way Sam was leaning, and I can certainly identify with that feeling myself. Not that having to write about baseball transactions is some hardship, but like almost any aspect of almost any job, that particular aspect of things starts to lose a little luster at a certain point for some people. Even though I still cover baseball through podcasts and sometimes through writing, I have sort of shifted away from that kind of coverage and branched out into writing about different things or even covering baseball in kind of a different way. So I absolutely understand and respect Sam's perspective and know that he will be great at whatever he does because of his inquisitive mind that approaches subjects in a slightly different way and often an illuminating one. And I think those thoughts are what we in the baseball community may miss. Anyway, we wish him well and we thank him for his service on this podcast. Into baseball writing and podcasting and editing in general. Effectively Wild will, of course, continue, and you can help it continue by supporting us on Patreon via patreon.com slash effectivelywild. The following five listeners have already signed up and pledged some monthly or yearly amount to help keep the podcast going and help us stay ad-free while getting themselves access to some perks, such as exclusive monthly bonus podcasts and access to the Effectively Wild patron-only Discord group, Kevin Rotsman, steven sachs jacob sachs tim Scramstad, and kyle Malashevsky. thanks to all of you you can join our facebook group at facebook.com group effectively you can rate review and subscribe to effectively wild on itunes and spotify and other podcast platforms Keep your questions and comments for me and Meg coming via email at podcast at or via the Patreon messaging system if you are a supporter. You can also follow Effectively Wild on Twitter at EWPod. And you can join or just browse the Effectively Wild subreddit at r slash EffectivelyWild. Thanks as always to Dylan Higgins for his editing and production assistance. Meg and I will be back with another episode soon. Talk to you then.